Today, you're going to hear some shocking news. Contemporary Christian anti-Semitism. Oh, yes, it's true. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, no hype no exaggeration. Everything you are about to hear is absolutely true. Michael Brown, welcome to the Line of Fire, Thoroughly Jewish Thursday edition, as we focus in on the shocking, painful truth of contemporary Christian anti-Semitism. Not just what happened in the past, but what is happening right now in conjunction with the release of my brand new book by that title, Christian Anti-Semitism. If you'd like to call with any Jewish-related question of any kind or want to challenge what I'm saying about Christian anti-Semitism today or get clarification, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Give me your best year. Focus as best as you can because what we're going to talk about is very, very intense. When I came to faith in late 1971, As a heroin-shooting, LSD-using, hippie rock drummer, 16 years old, I came to faith. My life was transformed. My dad said, Michael, it's great to see you off drugs, but we're Jews. We don't believe this. Asked me to meet with the local rabbi, which I did. And one of the first meetings with this rabbi, and I've been in touch with him as recently as last year, so roughly 50 years later. One of the first meetings we had, he, he gave me a book. He lent it to me, but it became mine. It's this book that, that I, I have to this day called Europe and the Jews. It was published under several different titles by Malcolm Hay, The Pressure of Christian, Christendom on the People of Israel for 1900 Years. And it, it tells the story of anti-Semitism in church history. And with the book, this rabbi, Rabbi Berman, gave me, gave me a note, a very moving personal note. And, and he said that, that he's lending me this book as I read the pages, he's hoping I'll share in the, the pain of, of, of Jews through history who've suffered persecution by the church. He quotes some verses in Hebrew, which, of course, I had to look up because I couldn't read Hebrew then. And then he says, I, I pray our God gives you the inner strength to face the truth no matter what the consequences. That's kind of been the story of my life in the Lord ever since. Facing the truth no matter what the consequences are. I with his permission, I, I give the entire contents of that letter in my new book, Christian Anti-Semitism. What happened was I read about church history, and it was shocking and disturbing, but it's not what I experienced in the church where I got saved. And as I traveled around America and traveled around the world over the years, I, 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 I experienced the exact opposite, great love for the Jewish people, prayers for the modern state of Israel. When I would share about anti-Semitism in church history or the contents of my 1992 book or in the new edition 2019 book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, when I would share that, Christians would be shocked. No, this couldn't have happened. Friends, in my new book, Christian Anti-Semitism, I don't just talk about what happened 1,800 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 100 years ago. I talk about what's happening now. It's shocking and disturbing. So what I want to do to start today's broadcast is I want to get into the first chapter 
of Christian anti-Semitism. You can get it on our website, AskDrBrown.org, if you'd like to get a signed, numbered copy, so kind of a collector's edition of, of the, the first printing. We'll be sending those out in the next day or two. Or you can just go online, Amazon, Christian Book, wherever you normally order your books, and get the paperback or get the ebook. So let me take you on a journey. Chapter 1 is entitled, A Trail of Blood and Tears. The year was 387, the location, the ancient city of Antioch. There, one of the most famous preachers of his day stood to deliver the first of eight sermons against the Jews. Full of passion, he began to denounce the Jewish people as a whole, calling them the slayers of Christ. The preacher was named John, but after his death, because of his eloquence, he was given the name Chrysostom, meaning golden mouth. And that is how he is known today, St. John Chrysostom, a man hailed for his, for his Christian virtues and uncompromising message. But those Christian virtues came to a screeching halt when it came to his homilies against the Jewish people. Over the course of these powerful sermons, Chrysostom said things like this about the Jews. They live for their bellies. They gape for the things of this world. Their condition is not better than that of pigs or goats because of their wanton ways and excessive gluttony. They know but one thing, to fill their bellies and be drunk, to get all cut and bruised, to be hurt and wounded while fighting for their favorite charioteers. Indeed, the synagogue is less deserving an honor of honor than any inn. It is not merely a lodging place for robbers and cheats, but also for demons. This is true not only of the synagogues, but also of the souls of the Jews. Do you see that demons dwell in their souls and that these demons are more dangerous than the ones of old? And this is very reasonable. In the old days, the Jews acted impiously toward the prophets. Now they outrage the master of the prophets. Tell me this. Do you not shudder to come into the same place with men possessed who have so many unclean spirits who have been reared amid slaughter and bloodshed? Must you share a greeting with them and exchange a bare word? Yes, this powerful preacher said, I hate the synagogue and abhor it. They have the prophets but not believe them. They read the sacred writings but reject their witness. This is a mark of men guilty of the greatest outrage. According to Chrysostom, the Jewish people as a whole were guilty of killing Christ, making them guilty of deicide, killing God. What should be done to a people such as this? What should be done to such evil transgressors? Chrysostom said this, when brute animals feed from a full manger, they grow plump and become more obstinate and hard to hold in check. They endure neither the, the yoke, the reins, nor the hand of the charioteer. Just so the Jewish people were driven by their drunkenness and plumbness to the ultimate evil. They kicked about, they failed to accept the yoke of Christ, nor did they pull the plow of his teaching. Allow such beasts, excuse me, although such beasts are unfit for work, they are fit for killing. And this is what happened to the Jews. While they were making themselves unfit for work, they grew fit for slaughter. This is why Christ said, But as for these my enemies, who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slay them. It ends the Chrysostom quote. The blood of countless thousands of Jewish martyrs testifies to what happens when rhetoric like this is taken literally. The Jewish people, the killers of Christ, are fit for slaughter. Is it any surprise that the Nazis reprinted Chrysostom's sermons to justify their murderous cause? Now, let's fast forward to the year 1096. Crusader armies had begun to march through Europe en route to the Holy Land where they would seek to dislodge the Muslims who had taken control of the region. But as they began their long and arduous march, they realized the Muslims were not their only enemies. But within their own very communities were the assassins of Christ. Author Susan Jacoby tells the story. 
Pope Urban II did not tell crusaders to murder Jews, but that is what happened when at least 100,000 knights, vassals, and serfs, unmoored from ordinary social restraints but bearing the standard of the cross, set off to crush what they considered a perfidious Muslim enemy in a faraway land. Why not practice on that older group accused of perfidy, the Jews? What exactly happened to these European Jews? What did they suffer at the hands of the crusaders who marched under the standard of the cross? Albert of Aix, a Christian born in the late 11th century, describes atrocities in Mainz, another stop of the crusaders' rampage from the Rhineland, by a band headed by one Count Emico. Again, there is a bishop who initially promises the Jews protection for what Albert describes as an incredible amount of money. But Emiko and his Christian soldiers broke into the hall where the Jews were held. Breaking the bolts and doors, they killed the Jews, about 700 in number, who in vain resisted the force and attack of so many thousands. They killed the women also, and with their swords pierced tender children of whatever age and sex. Friends, these were the Crusaders. And this was done in the name of Jesus, supposedly for the glory of God. Fast forward now to 1523. A German monk named Martin Luther is so grieved over the Catholic Church's treatment of the Jews that he writes an essay titled that Jesus Christ was born a Jew. And he reaches out with humility to the Jewish community in Germany, telling them that if he had been Jewish and seen the ways the popes and bishops ran the church, he would rather have been a pig than a Christian. And he honors them as the older brothers, hoping to soften their heart to the gospel. 20 years later, in 1543, an old and sick Luther struck a very different tone. He had not seen the mass conversion of Jewish people for which he hoped, and he had been exposed to Jewish literature that blasphemed Jesus. He even thought that Jewish people cursed Christians every day in their synagogue prayers, and some of his own parishioners had taken an interest in Jewish customs and beliefs. So he took his pen in hand and wrote his infamous treatise on the Jews and their lies. In it, he counseled the German nobles on how they could be free of this unbearable, devilish burden of the Jews. These are the words of Luther. First, to set fire to their synagogues or schools. Second, I advise that their houses also be razed and destroyed. Instead, they might be lodged under a roof or in a barn like the gypsies. Third, I advise that all their prayer books and Talmudic writings in which such idolatry, lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught be taken from them. Fourth, I advise that their rabbis be forbidden to teach henceforth on pain of loss in life and limb. Fifth, I advise that safe conduct on the highways be abolished completely for the Jews. Sixth, I advise that usury, charging interest, be prohibited to them, and that all cash and treasure of silver and gold be taken for them and put aside for safekeeping. Seventh, I recommend putting a flail, an axe, a hole, a spade, a distaff, or a spindle into the hands of young, strong Jews and Jewesses, and letting them earn their bread in the sweat of their brow. All this for the pen of Martin Luther. Fast forward to Wednesday evening, November 9th, 1938. This is the date most historians mark as the beginning of the Holocaust. As Nazi troops destroyed or set fire to Jewish homes and synagogues, looted and smashed the windows of Jewish places of business, and killed or wounded scores of Jewish residents. This was Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, when the Nazis carried out Luther's recommendations to a T, starting with the burning of the synagogues and the destroying of Jewish places of business. To the delight of some German pastors, the fires were still burning on November 10th, the birthday of Martin Luther the father of the Protestant Reformation, who was born in 1483. Political scientist Daniel Jonah Goldhagen noted, one leading Protestant churchman, Bishop Martin Zasse of Thuringia, published a compendium of Martin Luther's anti-Semitic vitriol shortly after Kristallnacht's orgy of anti-Jewish violence. In the foreword to the volume, he applauded the burning of the synagogues and the coincidence of the day, quote, on November 10th, 
1938, on Luther's birthday, the synagogues are burning in Germany. The German people, he urged, ought to heed the words of the greatest anti-Semite of his time, the warner of his people against the Jews, Martin Luther. During the post-World War II Nuremberg trials for war criminals, Julius Streicher, one of Hitler's top henchmen and publisher of the anti-Semitic Der Sturmer, was asked if there were any other publications in Germany which treated the Jewish question in an anti-Semitic way. Stryker stated, Dr. Martin Luther would very probably sit in my place in the defendant's dock today if this book had been taken into consideration by the prosecution. In the book, The Jews and Their Lies, Dr. Martin Luther writes that the Jews are a serpent's brood and one should burn down their synagogues and destroy them. Well, friends, that's all past history. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about what's happening right in our day, even in America. This is from my new book, Christian Anti-Semitism. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, it's, it's been special to be in Israel with our dear brother Joshua and have him come and lead worship for us on one of our tours. We've done that before because of COVID and situation in Israel. We've had to push back our tour yet again, but so we avoid further delays or ups or downs. We just moved it entirely to March of 2022. So we'll tell you more about that as we come closer. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you on this Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, 866-34-TRUTH. Any Jewish-related question of any kind, by all means, give us a call. There are books that I write. I'm so into writing with excitement. Uh, you know, maybe, oh, say a, a commentary. It's a digging. It's hard work. But it's, just, it's the word. It's the word. It's the word, right? Or, or something else, just some God-exalting thing, you know, excited about the message, getting it out. And some things like, oh, I wish I didn't have to write this. I wish it wasn't true. Uh, you know, if, if, when you're going to a funeral of a loved one and you think, I, I wish this wasn't happening. It, it seems so surreal sometimes, but it's reality. Everything in Christian anti-Semitism is reality. And it, it, it had to be written. It had to be exposed. But the good news is God's truth will triumph. The good news is lies will be exposed. The good news is love will overcome. The good news is God's purposes for Israel will be fulfilled. So I want to encourage you, order a copy, order a few copies of Christian Antisemitism. Once you start reading it, you'll, as, as one reviewer of a previous book of mine said, I wanted to put it down, but I couldn't. Or as another said, it was too true to be good. You'll find it riveting, eye-opening, and it'll drive you to prayer as well. You can order on our website if you'd like a signed, numbered copy the, the pre-order we're about to send out, or you can just order Amazon, Christian Book, Barnes & Noble, wherever you do. But I want to I catch up with what's happening today. We went through some of the horrific moments of church history, and many Jewish people, especially religious Jews, that's all they know about church history, is the horrible stuff that we shared, and that's why the name of Jesus is so negative to so many. 
But but let me catch you up with what's happening today right here in America. So I'm, I'm reading from the first chapter of Christian anti-Semitism, and we'll continue right now with repeating history. And let me just get to the right page. Here we are. Fast forward to October 2014. So I, I just finished I just finished sharing about Martin Luther's horrific mini book concerning the Jews and their lives. Fast forward to October 2014. Tex Mars, a best-selling evangelical author and Christian radio host, reprints Luther's anti-Jewish book, which is released with this enthusiastic description. Martin Luther, one of the great champions of the Christian faith ever to live, wrote this amazing book to warn Christians of the darkness of the Jewish religion. This is an evangelical leader in 2014. Indeed, on the Jews and their lives, he said, is said to be Luther's magnificent defense of Jesus the Messiah and his expose of the unfounded lies and accusations of the rabbis. Yes, an evangelical Christian leader reprinted Luther's violence-inducing screed against the Jews. As of March 2020, a 2017 reprint of Luther's infamous work, translated by Martin Bertram, had a four-star rating from readers on Amazon. As one appreciative reader wrote, very interesting information, forbidden knowledge. Martin Luther was a smart man and a Christian thinker. He stood up not only to the Catholic Church hierarchy, but to Jews as well. God bless him. Another wrote, Martin Luther has been labeled an anti-Semite because of this work, and when you read it, it becomes obvious why. In it, he exposes Jewish lying, cheating, parasitism, and stealing from the German people, all condoned and encouraged in the Jewish, Jewish holy book Talmud, which Luther was able to obtain and read in the Hebrew language. From the same work, he exposes the Jews' immense hate and slander of Jesus Christ and all of Christianity. Luther uses many scriptures to present his views, which any Christian would have to agree this is today, friends. This garbage is being put out today. Move ahead to April 27th, 2019. John T. Ernest, just 19 years old, marches into an Orthodox Jewish synagogue in Poway, California, and opens fire, killing one and wounding three before his gun locks up. Among the injured are an eight-year-old girl and the rabbi who lost a finger on one hand. According to a court affidavit, Ernest told the 9-11 emergency line dispatcher, I just shot up a synagogue. I'm just trying to defend my nation from the Jewish people. They're destroying my, our people. I opened fire at a synagogue because Jewish people are destroying the white race. That's not all, this 19-year-old man said. In a manifesto written prior to the shooting, he gave an in-depth explanation of why he tried to murder as many Jews as possible. And it was not simply a matter of the Jewish people allegedly destroying the white race. Ernest, you see, professed to be a devout Christian, was raised in a Christian home, and attended a local Presbyterian church. In his manifesto, he explained, I did not choose to be a Christian. The Father chose me, the Son saved me, and the Spirit keeps me. Why? I do not know. But as a Christian, he said this. Again, I'm reading from my book, Christian Anti-Semitism. This is, this is what he says. Hang on, let me just get my page here. Uh, here we go. As a Christian, he said he had a responsibility. There is no love without hatred. You cannot love God if you do not hate Satan. You cannot love righteousness if you also do not hate sin. You cannot love your own race if you do not hate those who wish to destroy it. Love and hate are two sides of the same coin. In other words, because he loves God, he has to hate the Jews. Ernest continued, it is unlawful and cowardly to stand on the sidelines as the Jewish people are genocided around you. 
I did not want to have to kill Jews, but they have given us no other option. And then he claimed, my God does not take kindly to the destruction of his creation, especially one of the most beautiful, intelligent, innovative races that he has created, least of all the hands of one of the most ugly, sinful, deceitful, cursed, and corrupt. By which he means the Jewish people allegedly destroying white Americans of European origin. This, he believes, is his Christian duty. But there's more. Look at this. In support, he marshaled a number of New Testament texts that anti-Semites have quoted and misused through the ages, including Matthew 27, 25, where a Jewish crowd calls for Jesus' crucifixion and shouts, His blood be on us and on our children. John 8, 37 to 45, which includes Jesus' words to non-believing Jews that they are of their father the devil. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16, where Paul speaks of the Jews who killed Jesus and the prophets and now persecute the Jewish apostles. And Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9, where Jesus speaks of the synagogue of Satan. Ernest then gives his list of 16 reasons the Jewish people must be killed, repeating some of the standard, ugly, anti-Semitic libels, concluding with this. And finally, for their role in the murder of the Son of Man, that is the Christ. Every Jew, young and old, has contributed to these. Shades of the words of John Chrysostom. The Jewish people as a whole are guilty of killing Christ. Yes, every Jew, young and old, has contributed to the murder of the Messiah. For these crimes, he concludes this section, they, the Jewish people, deserve nothing but hell. He says, I will send them there. Friends, this happened in our day in America. Jump ahead to September 29th, 2019. A man named Robert posted this comment on my YouTube channel with reference to the Poway Synagogue shooting. Is it so shocking that your people pulled another false flag shooting and made sure the perp was a violent Christian? We know how evil you are, Brown. So he's saying that my people, the Jewish people, pulled the false flag operation with the synagogue shooting. We set it up for a woman to be killed in cold blood and for the rabbi to lose one of his fingers, and we made sure the shooter was a violent Christian. Robert's sick comment ends with this. We know how evil you are, Brown. But of course, I'm Jewish. And friends, this is beyond sick. This is demonic. Finally, jump ahead a few days to October 2nd, 2019. A woman named Maria posted this comment on our Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel. Dr. Brown, I hope you're humble enough to hear this video to the end because I think you really need it. Her comment was linked to a six and a quarter hour video compilation containing the narration of all of John Chrysostom's sermons against the Jews. This anti-Semitism is alive and well. And it's not only spreading among professing Christians, it is being propagated by professing Christians. What's worse, hate is being passed off as the gospel, and those who would dare challenge the misinformation and outright lies being told about the Jewish people are vilified. Now you know why I've written this book. What you're about to read is painful and very distressing. Do you have the courage to continue? That's the first chapter of Christian anti-Semitism. Friends, in the book, I talk about these lies being purported put out by evangelical leaders that Jews are going to take over America and start killing Christians, that under Jewish law, Christians will, beheaded, will be beheaded worldwide, that the Talmud sanctions pedophilia. We, we deal with all of these myths and we demolish them with facts and with truth, the actual data, the original sources. We expose the errors. We point out the lies. Stephen Anderson's marching to Zion anti-Semitic video we demolish the lies in that. Some of the stuff that's been put out by Rick Wiles, Catholic scholar E. Michael Jones, we demolish the misinformation or the misleading information or the lies or the vitriol. We, we face it head on. 
and then the major scriptures that are used and that are misinterpreted, we open them up one by one to show what they really say. We deal with the error of replacement theology and then explain the significance of Jesus returning to Jerusalem. Why is he coming back to Jerusalem? Not Rome, not Tulsa, not Bombay, Mumbai, not Beijing, not Moscow. Why Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? When you understand that, a whole lot of the Bible makes sense. So get a copy of Christian Antisemitism. Get a copy for your pastor, leaders, friends. You'll find it to be tremendously eye-opening. Again, one of those books you wish you could put down, but you can't. It's riveting to read. It's disturbing to read. But in the end, the truth liberates. The truth sets you free. Let's spread the truth to stop this growing epidemic while we can. Let's put a stop to Christian anti-Semitism in our day. All right, we come back straight to your phone calls. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Gorgeous harmonies, which Orthodox Jewish man singing from the Psalms together. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 866-34-TRUTH. Any Jewish-related question you have of any kind, Hebrew-related, could be modern Israel-related, as long as it's Jewish-related on any level, it's an acceptable call for Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Let's go to Alberto in Savannah, Georgia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Yes, good afternoon, Dr. Brown. And our question is, first of all, can I make a quick comment? Then ask my question, if you don't mind. Go ahead. I was hearing you all this stuff about the anti-Semitic and all that stuff. In my opinion, these people are so hypocritical. Uh, people are attacking Jews because... They said they, they crucified Christ, they killed him, yet we as as uh, Gentiles, by our sins, we're crucifying Christ daily. Mm-hmm. And by the evil deeds we're doing against the Jews, we're crucifying Christ, who's the living Christ, we're crucifying him daily. Mm-hmm. So there, there's so much haters against Jews, yet they themselves are crucifying Christ themselves by their actions and by the deeds they're doing wrong. So there's been a rest of double standards, so... That's my that's my, my comment. Also, my question was about a lot of Christians say, well, they don't let them to eat pork and pig because it's, because it's a nasty animal and all that. But that, that I tell you, was for the Jewish people, not for the Gentiles. When God told Noah when he landed in um, on the, the, you know, after the flood in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, he said every, every, every calling thing under earth is good for food. So why do, do Christians or uh, confuse the the issue about eating pig, well, that applies only to the Jewish nation, not to the Gentiles. Right. So you are right that in Genesis 9, God said, just like you ate any of the plants, you can eat any of the animals. We do understand that there are health issues related to pigs, that the way that they live and what they eat, that eating pig is, is unhealthy. We do understand that. But clearly, 
God gave the dietary laws to the Jewish people not just for health purposes, but for separation purposes. Very clearly in Leviticus 20, God says that he gave the food laws to keep Israel separate from the nations. He never gave those food laws to the nations as a whole. And there's nowhere in the New Testament where the food laws are applied to the nations as a whole. In fact, the, the teaching in various letters that are written, say Paul writing in, in Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 8, would lead one to the conclusion, and, and probably also 1 Timothy 4, but would lead one to the conclusion that food itself is really not the issue. Even what Jesus teaches in Matthew 15 and Mark 7, that what you eat doesn't defile you, rather what comes out of the heart defiles you, gives us the understanding that food in and of itself is neutral. It's not clean or unclean, it's neutral. What makes us clean or unclean is the condition of our hearts. So there are some Christians that feel, well, if God said it was bad for Israel, it must be bad for everyone. Or some Christians misunderstand their relationship to the Sinai Covenant and think, well, we have to keep all of the laws. And then some just because they, they realize that they, they want to stand with the Jewish people, identify with Jesus and Israel, think, well, we should eat the way they ate. But bottom line is, there is no New Testament prohibition there in terms of food laws. The, the dietary laws were not given to the church as a whole. So people may choose. They're, they're free to eat. They're free not to eat. They may choose not to eat. They may say, well, God must have given it for a good reason. But we have to understand that food itself can't defile us. So, for example, even though I'm not a pork, e- pork eater and, and I hardly eat meat at all, if I was out in the mission field, let's say I was, I was out in some village in India and the folks where we were, they wanted us to stay and eat and they served me something I normally wouldn't eat. If I knew this, if I didn't eat it, I would offend the family and risk the gospel. It would be fine for me to eat it because that food itself doesn't defile. So many Christians just have a wrong understanding of this and there is no dietary law that was given, especially to Gentile believers in the New Testament. So your observation is correct as to why people do what they do. You know, that's it's kind of their, their choice. There are many, many different reasons. The key thing is, let me just say this, I have no problem with any Christian saying, hey, I choose to obey the dietary laws, I choose to keep them. Wonderful, great. I have a big problem with Christians saying, we must or will be displeasing God. And then a bigger problem with those who tell others, if you don't keep them, you'll be displeasing God. And thanks for your comments about anti-Semitism as well, my brother. God bless you. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Daniel in Cumberland, Maryland. Welcome to the line of fire. Uh, Yes, sir. Shalom. Uh, Just wanted to uh, have a quick uh, bit of advice from you, but uh, I do love the Shira Choir, so that was awesome to hear them uh, singing. I I got a kick out of that. Um, Yeah, so... uh, Doctor, I I come across, um, you touched on this, Revelation 2.9, and I'll just read it real quick just for everyone to have a good background. Yeah. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but the syn- but are the synagogue of Satan. So, uh, what, what of the many, many things that I, I do for the kingdom of God, praise the Lord, um, I try at least, is uh, I, I love witnessing to Jewish people. It's it's probably my number one passion. Mm. But second to that is um, uh, really, really, really trying to help out my, uh, you know, my fellow believers understand, you know, the grand importance of, of the Jewish people, Israel, you know, the, the nation. And, 
And of course, that means totally uh, breaking down that wall of anti-Semitism. Um, this is this is a verse that I've heard many different, um, both uh, you know, Messianic Jewish uh, uh, leaders uh, comment on, as well as a lot of. Um, you know, non-supporting kind of kind of yeah. The, so uh, yeah, let me let me just open up what the scriptures are actually saying there. Okay, uh, the yep. verse is found in Revelation two nine and three nine. First, Jesus speaking to the church in Smyrna, and then the church in Philadelphia. Those are the only two congregations that he addresses in Revelation two and three that he doesn't rebuke, and they're both undergoing persecution and opposition. And here he singles out some of the persecution and opposition speaking of those who call themselves Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So there are two possible interpretations to the verse. One is that they weren't Jews at all. They were Gentiles who claimed to be Jews, some type of cult, just like you have black Hebrew Israelites who all claim to be Hebrews and things like that and are terribly anti-Semitic. So it could be just like Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Revelation 2 to Ephesus, you, you tried those who claimed to be apostles and were not. So just like the people claimed to be apostles but weren't, these people claimed to be Jews but weren't, and instead were a synagogue, were, were a meeting place of Satan. That's one way to read it. The other way to read it is that those Jews who were actually opposing Gentiles from preaching the gospel, that, that they were that much set against the Messiah and set against God, they claim to be Jews, but they weren't. They're, they're just part of a meeting place of Satan. So what it is, is, is just like in the Old Testament, when God says to his people, Israel, you're not my people. Well, they were his people. He called them his people, but he said, you're not my people, because they weren't acting like it. It, it, it would be like a, a wife telling her husband, you know, when she found out he's living a secret life, she says, I don't know you. You're not my husband. Well, he is your husband, but he's not living as her husband. So... Uh, you know, it'd be like me preaching to the church, saying, you're not the church. You live like this, like that. That's not the church of Jesus. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. And the prophets often did this. So at worst, Jesus is identifying certain Jewish people who were so hostile to the faith that they were actively opposing Gentile Christians sharing their faith. And Jesus rebuked them by saying, you claim you're Jews, but you're not. In other words, you're, you may be Jews in body, but you're not Jews in spirit. You're of the devil. And that's all he's saying. Anti-Semites use it to say all Jews around the world are of the synagogue of Satan. All Jews around the world are not real Jews, but are the synagogue of Satan, which has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with what Jesus was saying. But you'll constantly hear that misinterpretation, misrepresentation. And because it's a little soundbite, it gets quoted over and over and over again. And I will regularly see comments on YouTube, regularly see comments where I'm just posting something. It could be like a video to today, and I'll just see coming, synagogue of Satan, synagogue of Satan. That's it. You're a Jew. You're a synagogue, part of the synagogue of Satan. So it's a terrible misuse of a strong prophetic rebuke by Jesus, similar to other prophetic rebukes that we have throughout the Bible. All right. Excellent. You got it. 866-34-TRUTH. Naturally, we've answered that question many, many times many times, and we have a video on our website. Just type in Synagogue of Satan at AskDrBrown.org or if you're on YouTube, AskDrBrown YouTube channel. Just type in Synagogue of Satan with my name, and you'll find the video 
that we did, and maybe some anti-Semites accusing me of being part of the synagogue of Satan. But uh, the reason I answered it yet again today was because it ties in with the contents of my new book, Christian Anti-Semitism. 866-348-7884. Let's go to Jacksonville, Florida. George, you are on the line of fire. Oh, thank you, Dr. Uh, Brown, for having me. I got a uh, my question today for you is, uh, it, it, since you seem to have a penchant for uh, controversy, I, I, I figure I'll give you an opportunity to have some more. I say that strictly joking, of, of course, but it has to do with tithing. And, and is it really kind of, what I've tried to suss this out in my mind is that, um, where is tithing strictly a, a New Testament, I mean, not a New Testament, an Old Testament command for the Jews. Yeah, so I've, and, I've yeah, George, I'm just jumping in because your, your phone was, was fading in and out, and I didn't want folks to miss anything, and also because i got a break coming up. Go to my website, AskDrBrown.org, just type in tithe or tithing. You'll see more teaching we've done it. Here's the short answer, all right? Short answer. Tithing is not a command that we are under in the New Testament. However, it is an excellent principle to practice, and the New Testament does call us to systematic giving, to generous giving, to proportional giving, and a tithe is a great place to start. It is not a command from the Sinai Covenant that carries over into the New Covenant. Rather, it is an excellent principle that we are called to live by and under the New Covenant to exceed with even greater generosity. So I recommend it as a starting point on which we build, not under the law, but under the principle of generosity and reciprocity. Hey, thank you for the call. We always welcome the controversy. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. been in many a meeting where Paul has led with that and we danced around the building with joy and celebration. Welcome to the Line of Fire, Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. If you missed any earlier parts of the broadcast, I read in its entirety chapter one of my brand new book, Christian Anti-Semitism. If you'd like to get a signed numbered copy, kind of a collector's edition, we personalize it to each of you with a scripture. And yeah, it's, it's me. I do sign them with joy. We get a big pile on my desk of 100, 200 books, whatever, of the pre-orders and then Signs send them out, uh, sometimes more than that, but it, it's, it's a joy. I love, I love doing it. So if you'd like to get that, go to our website, askdrbrown.org. Otherwise, you can just order it online, and it'll be released officially next week in general to bookstores and online vendors. You can get the paperback, the ebook, and soon the audio book. I just want to read something to you, and this was from a, a wife that wrote to us some of you know that we are now putting out videos 
rebutting, demolishing the misinformation, the misrepresentation of one particular counter-missionary rabbi, Tovia Singer. I've interacted with many, many counter-missionary rabbis over the years and had civil interaction and some for, for many years back and forth. Uh, Tovia Singer has cut me off for, well, let's see, since the early 90s when we did a debate and actually did two, one in the home and one on Sid Ross broadcast. And subsequently, as I was seeking to reach out to him, cut me off and that's been it ever since, but he stayed active as a counter-missionary, refused to debate me, dialogue with me since, but is, has hurt the faith of many by blatant misinformation, misrepresentation. And that's why we're putting these videos out. God's provided funds for them. We, we have many, many, many more to record. We're doing them one at a time, high quality, clear, demolishing his errors. But just to give you an idea of what's out there, the love of deception, let me read this to you. So this wife writes to us, I wrote several weeks ago concerning my husband's decision to deny Christ after listening to Tovia Singer's videos. I bought the five-volume set by Dr. Brown for my husband and lovingly asked him to read, but he refused. He's convinced he's been deceived all his life about Jesus in the New Testament, and Tovia has answered all his questions. Now, now notice he wouldn't even entertain a rebuttal to that, so he is in deception right now. He would not even hear someone that would demolish the misinformation from Rabbi Singer. No, he thinks he's got the truth now, and he's not open to hearing anything else. He's, and, and she says, please do a video on what to do when Tovia Singer leads your Christian-believing loved one to deny Christ. I prayed, begged, and pleaded with God to open his eyes, but my prayers go unanswered. This is painful. And, and let's keep praying and believing with her that this man will have his heart and mind open and, and will come to repentance and will recognize the truth. She said, I prayed the precious blood of Christ to cover my home and begged the Holy Spirit to drive out the evil blasphemy Tovia teaches against Christ, but my husband just marathons all the anti-Jesus videos from Tovia's channel. Please help. Please expose the lies and pray my husband will listen to the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Friends, that's what we're doing. We are doing that one video at a time. So pray with us. Believe with us. If you want to contribute in an ongoing way, that's great. But pray that these will hit home because there are others deceived, misled, hurt, families divided by lies. And because we take the video, we take the content, the erroneous content, we expose it, we present truth, many will be helped. Many eyes will be opened. So pray with us. It's an important part of what our ministry is doing. Uh, let us go to uh, Gary in Lexington, North Carolina. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Uh, hello, Dr. Brown. Um... I just wanted to thank you for your stand for the Jewish people. I'm a Baptist pastor of over 40 years here in North Carolina. Uh, it amazes me um, that anyone who um, claims to be a Christian would be anti-Semitic. Yeah. Of course, as a Baptist preacher, I'm dispensational, premillennial, believe the Abrahamic covenant is still in effect. And I don't think people realize how dangerous it is when the Bible's very clear that I'll bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. I don't think people understand how dangerous it is individually and nationally to hold anti-Semitic views against the uh, the Jews. And would you comment on that? And I'll get off here and listen. All right. Yeah. Well, first, thank you for your, your love and support. And, sir, that's that's what I've run into around the world year after year after year, great love for the Jewish people, prayers for the Jewish people, prayers for Israel. 
doesn't mean we sanction everything Israel does. doesn't mean that we ignore Israel's own shortcomings and sins like every other people and every other nation. No, we, we recognize that. But as true friends, we pray, we bless, we stand with. And, Gary, the first thing that happens when people allow Jew hatred in their heart is it pollutes them. I mean, the, the picture I got just jumped in my mind as, as we were speaking. I don't know where the image came from, but instantly I just saw poison coming into people's blood. It was as if they were injected with poison, and it infects their, their whole system. They, they see the world differently. They, they, they see God differently. You know, it's just like if I have unforgiveness in my heart towards someone, and then it develops into bitterness, and the bitterness becomes rage and anger. It's all I think about and revenge and it pollutes you. So in this same way, there is a pollution that takes place in people. There's a pollution of our theology when we allow these things in. But in addition, yeah, I, I do believe that one reason God has been merciful to America is that America has stood with Israel more than other nations have. Now, much more so during the Trump administration than where the Biden administration is going. But still, we have not cursed Israel. We have been a friend to Israel more than an enemy of Israel. I believe that's one reason God's continued to have mercy on us. And look, it's not because the Jewish people are better than anyone else. In fact, God says this word, no, you're just like everybody else, just like everybody else. The fact is, Jewish people are recipients of mercy, just as followers of Jesus are recipients of mercy. We all live by grace. But because God singled out this one people and through this one people wanted to bless the world, ultimately through the Messiah, he takes it personally when people curse those that he chose out. He takes it personally when they seek to wipe them out and destroy them. And he, and he says there will be payback. So let us pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Let us pray for the right heart of the church. And let us pray for God's purposes to be done on earth for Jew and Gentile alike. And again, first thing that happens with anti-Semitism, it pollutes the anti-Semite. It changes their outlook. You know, just like a lot of the people believing all kinds of conspiracy theories today, it changes everything, Ooh, the whole world differently. And, and, you know, for example, you see the military presence in D.C. to protect Biden for the inauguration. No, it wasn't there for that. It was there because there was going to be a military coup and Trump was going to be installed. In other words, your sense of reality changes. I've seen it with anti-Semitism. Everything becomes about the Jews, and it pollutes people's whole way of thinking. Thank you for the call. All right, uh, time for one more call. Neil in Viola, Wisconsin, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Michael. Uh, I'm a, like you, I'm a Jew. Like you, I follow Messiah, and I've got both of your editions of um, the blood on our hands. Yeah. Got read it. through both of them, and I didn't know you written this new book. And I got to tell you, I'm so sad right now. I'm just brokenhearted. I'm sitting here listening to the program, and God love that dear Baptist preacher from North Carolina. Yeah, I don't know if I believe him, but I will. Okay, and can I can I tell you what's in my heart right now? Because I'm about to cry. Go ahead. Remember in 1870 Germany, our people, the Jews, were you know. They were the highest. They were in all, all of German society, banking, political, just like we are here, right? And if I had told you 60 years from now 
a demon will arise from your midst and burn us all. You would say I was nuts. And I got to tell you, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not, believe me, I'm the lowest of the low, but I feel sometime this will happen in America. Yeah, well, I pray Neil, I'm wrong. Yeah. I pray I'm wrong, brother. Yeah, let me, let me say this, Neil. First, first is that we pray for God's grace and truth to triumph, and we work towards that. In other words, if we see a potential crash coming a month down the road or a year or 10 or 20, we work against it. So that's why I wrote Christian Antisemitism, to work against this right now, to expose the cancer that's in our midst and so that we can cut the cancer out and love people back to the truth, those who've fallen into error, those who are propagating error, that we can love them back to truth and present truth to them and expose it for the wider world. That being said, there is no guarantee that any nation will not ultimately turn against Israel and the Jewish people. It's not written anywhere. So our trust is in God, and ultimately we know that there will be even more Jews gathered back to the land. Could it be fleeing from anti-Semitism? They fled from anti-Semitism in Russia. They're now fleeing from anti-Semitism in France, even in England. Could it happen in America? It could. By God's grace, it won't. But it could. So let us work against it by getting the truth out. I strongly encourage you to get hold of Christian anti-Semitism. Again, what I've experienced most of my believing life, 49 years, is just like we heard from Pastor Gary. Love for the Jewish people, prayer for Israel. But the tide of anti-Semitism is rising. It is destructive and deadly. Let us nip it in the bud in the church. If you can get hold of Christian Anti-Semitism, my brand new book, do it. You'll see why when you start reading. God bless.